over the last few weeks, we've been exploring some God questions. We've, we've looked at the incredibly important question, is God real? And tried to explore what we see in reality as well as what is revealed in God's word and see how they come together. We've also explored, is God creator? What do we see in the creation, both in the universe and in the incredible mystery and wonder of this uh, information that he has placed inside of us that we call DNA, and how it all points to a personal God, a God who designed us and loves us and has a purpose for us. Well, today we're going to deal with what is perhaps the hardest question of all, and it's the question of evil and of suffering. And, and as I use that today, I'm referring to to all the different aspects of, of evil and suffering that we encounter. Now, it's important for us to acknowledge, I think, up front, that this question is certainly not something that is just philosophical. It is not just theological. It is something that is very, very personal and oftentimes incredibly emotional. And so it's important for us to look at it from the evidence that we see in the world around us, more importantly, the evidence we see in God's word, and then see how those two come together. Now, this question has been the question that oftentimes is the turning point in people who would embrace atheism, where they would say, I can't believe in a God, and the reason I can't believe in God is because I see so much suffering and evil in the world. And they propose a, a formula, or perhaps a diagram, like what I've put in, in your bulletin, where they ask this question. And, and David Hume is perhaps the, the most famous skeptic who coined this question, and he, he says it basically this way, how can an all-knowing, all-good, all-powerful God allow evil? It's a good question. And it begins with some important statements because what he wrestles with is each of those three components. Is God all-knowing? Secondly, is God good? And thirdly, is God all-powerful? And if he is all those things, the confusion comes in as to why we have evil. It's a good question, but it leaves something out. When you look at that diagram, um, or the next diagram, what's missing in that picture or in that formula? What's missing is us. The assumption is that if God is who he says he is in the Bible, everything should be good. Well, what does the Bible tell us back in Genesis 1, verse 31, is that he looked at everything he created, and behold, it was very good. God made everything very good, but we know something happened. Something changed the experience of what he designed into what we now encounter on a regular basis. What's missing in the skeptic's question is humanity, and the fact that God's word tells us that he has given us a free will. You and I have the ability to make choices. 
Now, I need to ask this question, and, and simply, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and put you on the spot. How many of you believe you have a free will? You have the ability to choose between right and wrong? Okay. Now, this is an important question to ask because actually when we look at, at some of the quotes we'll have from atheism, if you follow atheism, if you discount there is a God, you come also to a point where you discount the, the uh, reality of free will. A true atheist cannot believe in free will because free will points to a purpose. Instead, if we are only matter, as I've, I've used my famous rock um, that uh, I've enjoyed so much, it's in case you're looking for it during the week and you need an illustration or a paperweight, it's down just past the bus stop, okay? So that's, that's where I, I put it back each week so the people <laughs> that I took it from don't think I actually stole their rock, but... If matter is all there is, all there ever was, and all there will ever be, then we are simply a biochemical machine driven by the laws of nature, of physics, and of mathematics. And therefore, in reality, we are not culpable for the decisions we make. We're simply a machine. But is that the reality that we see in the world? Is that the reality that we know in our own hearts? The Bible paints a very different picture. God tells us this in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 through 20. I want you to listen to the seriousness of these words. This is God speaking. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life. Now here in this, this verse, God is telling us that goodness, blessing, his presence, the very life that we have is found as we obey him, as we listen to what he says and align our life to the truth of his word. Well, we see that God created everything good. If we were to explore the, the diagram of how things looked in the very beginning, everything was good until out of the free will, Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, to rebel against him. And all of us, the scripture tells us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all chosen that same rebellion. And so therefore, Evil and suffering does have a source, but it is not God. You see, we all know that something has gone terribly wrong with the world. We call it the problem of evil, but that can only be so if there is a right way for things to be. You see, there's, a, there's another question we need to ask. Oftentimes, a skeptic will ask, where does evil come from? You need to also ask, where does good come from? If we are simply the product of chance, of evolution, of matter, why do we expect good? Why should that be part of our experience? Now, we don't ask that question because we like good, right? I, I think we all would agree good is, well, good. Yeah, we like it. But there being good and we seeing evil points us to an understanding that if things are not the way they're supposed to be, 
it indicates that the world was designed for a purpose and that something in that purpose is not being achieved. The great author C.S. Lewis wrote about his own embrace and journey from atheism to faith in the God of the Bible, and he said it this way. My argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own, but if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too, for the argument depended on saying that the world was truly or really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my private fancies. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. You see, it really points, this question of evil and suffering points to the question of justice. Now, next week, we are going to dive deep into God's Word, and we are going to enter into the courtroom of the Scripture. We're going to look at some passages of Scripture that will be very unfamiliar for many of us because we have um, generally a limited understanding of things like Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, Rosh Hashanah, and, and, and we hear those as Jewish holidays, but what they truly are when you see them in the Scripture is it is a court appearance at which everyone must appear. And so we're going to look at the justice of God as revealed in His Word next week. But understand, that ultimately is what is behind this question. Is God just? But where did that sense of justice, of right and wrong, come from? If we think about it analytically, and if we, if we were to chase down an atheistic uh, evolutionary viewpoint, we have to ask the question, why do we really even believe there is right and wrong? Evolution proclaims the survival of the fittest. Might makes right. If the survival of the best and the brightest is what advances evolution, the force that causes us to live as we do, why do we deep inside of us have a sense of justice? Because that very formula points towards what we would all say is injustice. It preys upon the weak, upon those who aren't able to keep up. Its very premise says those should be eliminated. But we know deep in our hearts that that is wrong with all that is within us. There is a conviction within us to stand up for those who are afflicted, those who are oppressed, the weak and the hurting. Isn't that conviction directly opposite and opposed to the survival of the fittest. You see, deep inside of us, we know there is a God. That's why as we read the last few weeks in Romans chapter one, the truth is we are without excuse because God has done something about evil. He's done far more than what we often give him credit for. But when it comes to the question of evil and suffering, we ultimately are asking this question, does God care? You see, there are three big questions in our, in our encounter with life. Is God real? Is God in control? And does God care? 
All the doubts that we wrestle with somewhere center on one or more of those three questions. We want to know, is God really who he says he is? Is he truly powerful or in control? Or is things just started and he let them go? And most importantly, does he care? And we ask those questions, especially when pain and suffering becomes either very personal or incredibly big. Think about your own experiences, the times when you have wrestled with the enormity of evil and suffering in the world. One of those occasions, especially today as we, as we recognized our, um, and got to hear that beautiful music from our brothers and sisters from Indonesia, I remember in January of 2005 in Banda Aceh, Indonesia, I had gone with a, with a medical team after the tsunami had killed um, over 150,000 Indonesians along with many more from Thailand, from Sri Lanka. The tsunami was just incredibly devastating. And to step upon that piece of ground and see the utter destruction was almost overwhelming, especially when you're still pulling bodies out from the rubble, when more and more victims are being discovered. And you see the enormity of the power where there was a, 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 had been a floating power generator that was pushed five kilometers inland and was sitting on a village. When you see that kind of suffering, you have to ask, why? You have to go, Lord, I don't understand. Likewise, when suffering maybe isn't something that's so large from a, the standpoint of the enormity of the lives that are impacted, but when it becomes really close, really personal, when it hurts us as an individual, when we grieve, we ask why. Many of you were, were at our, the ICP Spring Retreat and we were so blessed by Jan and Larry Lozier to have them um, come and teach us about the exchanged life, about how Christ had given his, his life and wants to now live in us and through us and how that can set us free in some amazing ways. And their teaching and their lives were incredibly beautiful. This past Tuesday, Larry truly entered the exchanged life because he went home. He passed away because shortly after leading that retreat, he had become incredibly ill and they discovered he had stage four cancer. And he passed away this week. He's a dear friend that I've known for many, many years. And when we encounter those kind of losses, loss of a friend or a family member, it hurts. And we tend to ask the same question that Job asked, the question that was in our scripture. Listen to it again. Job said, when I had hoped for good, evil came. And when I waited for light, darkness came. My inward parts are in turmoil and never still. Days of affliction come to meet me. I go about darkened but not by the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry for help. Man, do those words resonate to your own personal times of, of despair, of grief, of hurt, of suffering? That's what I love so much about the scripture is it is absolutely raw with the human experience because it is real. 
It is an accurate picture of life. Job was experiencing incredible, incredible suffering. And so he wrestles with the why of why I'm looking for good and what I seem to find time after time after time is evil. When I hope for light, only darkness comes. Well, the scripture tells us that the source of that darkness is our choice, that we chose to rebel. But if we, as I mentioned before, if we pursue an atheistic mindset, we get a very different picture. I want you to listen to a a, a quote by Stephen Hawking. He says, it is hard to imagine how free will can operate if our behavior is determined by physical law. So it seems that we are no more than biological machines and that free will is just an illusion. You see, when you discount God, you also diminish humanity because we are no longer something special, something created in the image of God. We are only a machine. But deep in our hearts, we see a reality that is different The testimony of experience and the testimony of God's word points to the fact that we are free moral beings, able to choose between good and evil. Now, we need to understand, if we're we're truly to grab a hold of this, is to understand what evil is. Because sometimes we look at evil as if it is a substance in and of itself rather than what it is in reality, which is a void or an emptiness. There's something missing. And the greatest way to illustrate that, to understand that, is to understand that evil is the void or absence of good, just as darkness is the absence of light. None of us can turn on the darkness, right? You can't flip a switch and darkness comes on. All you can do is turn off a switch and the light goes out and darkness is there. Light is missing. The same is true with evil. Evil is the absence of good. It is the absence of God's presence. When we shut God out of our life, out of our relationships, out of our communities, out of our cities, out of our nations, we are shutting out good as well and evil will always Come in because we have chosen to reject God. It works just like turning off a switch. God is good. He says in his word, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He is perfectly good. He is perfectly light. But when we rebel against God, we shut out the light and the result is darkness. A blind person can feel the warmth of the sun shining on them, but there's no distinction between light and dark. However, once a person has seen light, they realize that darkness is the absence of light. And the same is true with evil. It is the absence of good. Sin is a choice, and if we choose to live our life independently of God, the consequence is evil. Well, part of the problem of suffering and evil 
that we ask and that we wrestle with really isn't so much of where it came from. We can get our minds oftentimes around the answer, but we struggle with how much evil there is. Now, here's the question. How much evil is too much? How much, you see, it really comes down to this. We oftentimes, when we deal with the question of evil, is we think God draws the line at the wrong place. So if we were looked at a scale of evil from zero up to 10, where should the line be drawn where God would step in and say, that's enough, stop that, I'm, gonna, I'm taking you out. We look at enormous um, wrongs like the Holocaust, um, when the church office was one block over on Krakowska, before we had the bridge center, um, there was an, a lawyer next door uh, by the name of Zdenek. And Zdenek was a very interesting man. He would come over and, and see me um, at the, as soon as his meetings were done, usually after he had had at least three or four whiskeys, and, and, and wanted to come and have great debates of theology with me. And, and it was always interesting and entertaining, but the core issue that Zdenek wrestled with, the reason he could not believe in God was because of the Holocaust. It was a very understandable question. But I also told him, if there is no God, then there is no justice, and truly the Holocaust, there's, there is absolutely no hope. If there is a God, then there's a hope for justice that the scales will be balanced. That in his mind, and in perhaps the minds of many, they think, well, God should have stopped that before it got that far. But there's a problem with that because it, when we begin to try to draw the line ourselves and say this is where it should be, it gets a lot more confusing. If we were to say, okay, well, murder is too much and, and God should stop all murder. Well, it would be a much better world if he did that from our viewpoint, but there's a reason why God is gracious and allows us our free moral choices. Because you see, if we go down the list, because you see, if we think about the Holocaust, yes, there was genocide, there was murder, but what enabled it to come about in the first place? What enabled it to come about in the first place, the sin that was underneath all of that is a sin that a lot of us commit quite often it was a lie. It all began with false information. Hitler's own philosophy was, if you tell a lie big enough and often enough, people will begin to believe it. So do we cut it off at lying, where God steps in and eliminates every liar? How many of us would be left? I wouldn't. It would be a very small service today, right? Well, in reality, if we look at God's word, we discover that God does restrain evil. In fact, here are some points of hope that I want you to grab a hold of because whether or not we have the wisdom, which the answer is we don't, to know where the line should be drawn, the truth is God has drawn lines. He has put restraints on evil, but he was not content enough to simply limit evil he did something far greater. He stepped into the very heart of our suffering in Jesus Christ. But let's look at some of the ways that God is limiting evil in our world. I want you to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 8. The whole, whole of chapter 2 is 
deals very much with this subject, the subject of evil and ultimately the justice of God and him balancing the scales. He says this in verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, evil abounds. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Well, what does that mean? He's talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is restraining evil in our world. When you think about, I'm going to get myself in, in trouble, but I usually do, so it's okay. I want you to think about some of the world leaders that we have on the stage today and in history past. Would it be too much to say that some of them are absolutely psychos? I mean, they are crazy. And, and some of them have incredibly destructive weapons at their disposal. We see the conflict right now in the world, the, the question over, will, will North Korea use a nuclear weapon? What keeps them from going that far. I believe with all my heart and life, what restrains evil in all of our nations, in all of our experience, is the Holy Spirit. But then he says, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. It's talking about there will be a time when the Holy Spirit lets go and the Antichrist comes and what we see as evil here and now will not compare to the restrainer letting go. God does restrain evil. The Holy Spirit limits it. Secondly, God has put in place certain things that are incredibly important. He placed into the heart and mind of each and every human being a conscious, an understanding of right and wrong. Romans chapter 2, verse 15, speaks about those who do not have a personal relationship with God. And he says, they, speaking of the Gentiles, show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. We know within us right and wrong. And God has given us that gift, that conscience, to restrain us from evil. Now, a person can push past it and rebel against it, but he has put that there as a restraint for evil. Secondly, God has put in place a control mechanism that is definitely imperfect because it is run by humans, but he has given us government whose primary purpose is to limit evil and to punish wrongdoing. It also provides for the common good and does many other things. But here's what it says in Romans chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. He goes on later to say that they bear the sword for a purpose. They have that authority in order to restrain evil. Thirdly, we discover that God limits evil by working in you and I to discipline us, to make us more like Jesus Christ. He uses our presence in this world to be salt and light, to bring about good, because the greatest way to limit evil 
is to raise up a people who will invest in good. You see, that's why we have been given a mission that is absolutely essential to proclaim the great news of Jesus Christ, that there is a Savior, that there is a hope, and that there is life. He is raising us up. And finally, he reminds us that all of us will be judged. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what is done in the body, whether good or evil. But here's the ultimate answer to evil and to suffering. God was not content to limit it or to allow us to go on our own. Instead, the God of the Bible chose to step into it fully. Jesus Christ, the scripture says, he who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, who was absolutely perfect, absolutely sinless, became sin for us. Do you understand the enormity of that statement? The perfect one not only carried your sin and my sin, he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He took on all of that suffering. When we look at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, where he is suffering physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and most importantly, relationally, he became sin for us. And God loved you and I so much. He cared so much about the issue of evil and suffering, he became it himself and bore the punishment that it deserved so that justice could be done. You see, God was unwilling to break his holiness, his righteousness, and so since there was no way that you or I could ever pay the price for what sin had made us, he became sin for us and bore it upon himself. You see, the great news of the gospel is we have a God who loves us more than we can ever imagine. You see, the short answer to why God allows evil and suffering is because he loves you and I and he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but is giving opportunity to repent for you and I so that we may experience life in Jesus Christ. And when we look at the suffering of Jesus upon the cross, we need to understand that the physical pain, the physical torment was great, more than possibly what we can even begin to fathom. But we can look at other people who have suffered, who have gone through difficult things physically. But there is no one who bore the relational pain that Jesus Christ did. You and I, if you've lived very long, you've experienced that relational pain is far deeper far more impacting on your life than any physical endurance. The closest relationship in the universe was the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Absolutely one, united in a way that we cannot even begin to wrap our minds around. 
And yet God was willing to become sin for us and break apart the Trinity as Jesus Christ became our sin and divorced himself. And Jesus cries out a relational cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't a loss of faith. It was the agony of what he was bearing for you and I because he loves us in ways we can only begin to imagine. God cares about you. So much so, he was willing to go to the greatest extreme to rescue us, to bring us back. And not only that, he gives us a promise. Listen to Jesus' words. Luke chapter 18, verses 7 and 8. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? God entered into our suffering and bore it for us so that you and I could have a right relationship with God by simply calling upon the name of Jesus. He did all the work. There's nothing you or I can do to earn it, to make him love us more. He just invites us to call upon his name. But then he gives us a promise that he will one day balance the scales. And so when it looks like Suffering and evil is raising up all around us, either personally or we see the enormity of the events in our world. We need to remember a couple of things. Number one, that Jesus truly understands it because he entered into it. And the scripture says he has suffered in any way, in every way, as humans do. He is our great high priest and he has experienced the full gamut of human suffering. But also, he has promised that he will bring justice. He will balance the scales. He reminds us of his promise, and he gives us this final instruction in 2 Peter. He says this, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and as a thousand years one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, that's the message of the gospel. God allows evil and suffering because he is calling people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation to turn to Jesus and have life. He permits sin because he longs out of love to rescue every person who will call upon the name of Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would take this important question, Lord, and where, where there are incredible gaps in what was shared today, would your Holy Spirit and your word speak Or would you bring hope to those who are hurting? Would you bring truth to those who are struggling with doubt, 
with insecurity. And Lord, most important of all, this very day, would you draw people to simply say, Jesus, would you save me right here in this place, in this room? Give them the courage, give them the faith to call upon your name and discover the incredible gift of who you are and what you have done for us. Speak to hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, for we choose to worship a good, a powerful, an all-knowing God who cared so much, he took upon himself our sin. May you be praised, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. We're gonna sing and worship together, and afterwards there'll be intercessors over on the left that'll be there to pray with you if you have a spiritual need, a question, maybe you have questions about, about what the message was, maybe there's something else going in your heart and your life, we wanna invite you to come and pray with us.